1: Welcome to the Wheel of Time podcast. We are the
2: Lorehounds, your guides to Randland. I'm David. And I'm John. And this is our coverage of the Amazon Prime adapted series, uh, The Wheel of Time. In this podcast,
1: we're going to do a scene by scene breakdown of season two, episode two, Strangers
2: and Friends. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for September.
1: For early access, ad-free episodes, and exclusive content, visit us at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Also, we'd like to ask if you're enjoying what we do, consider leaving us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is the best place, and it helps uh, to raise our profile even as far away as the I waste
2: and specific to the wheel of time. We have a new feed set up just for the show. So if you're only interested in content about the wheel of time, you can subscribe to that channel. Our main feed is going to have all of our content. You can find that by searching for the Lorehounds, and we've got subscription feeds on YouTube and Spotify. So wherever you want this podcast and other science fiction and fantasy shows, it's there for you.
1: That's right. Um, and you know what? We'd also love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air. So send us feedback for the next episode. And uh, well, it'll be after episode three that we'll start recording that. But um, send it all in now, episode one, two, three, everything you've got. And um, because we've got screeners, we're recording these in advance a little bit. John will mention a little bit later about our, our recording schedule. So, you know, we're going to catch up on the feedback, but we want it all
2: send emails to WOT at the or head to our website, thelorehounds.com and either use the voicemail feature or the contact form, or you can head to our discord server and there's a link in the show notes so you can get there. Just chat about it, you know, send us a nice complicated discord message with crazy fan theories and we'll probably pull it and put it on the show.
1: <laughs> it's very possible. John, uh, we were chit chatting offline, uh, about this episode. You seem to, have some crunchy thoughts. Is that still the case? Are you feeling OK about this number two episode or what's going on? I
2: feel OK. I feel OK. okay. I did not dislike this episode for sure. Got it. This episode. Well, the weakest of the two I've seen so far was still good. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's hard to beat number one, right? So I really loved episode one. I didn't super love this episode, but it was still good. It was still better than any episode in season one, I would say. OK, so I'm, I'm still in a good place. I am baffled by the decision to make this a triple premiere. This was this is an extremely dense show, both episodes one and two so far. I think people could use a little bit more time to digest it. I'm I'm very confused by the choice to do this. It might have to do with scheduling that we don't know about. But for now, I'm just going to roll with it. And I'm glad that we have at least the time to take a few <laughs> days in between episodes. I am sorry for the public that it's, it's just thrown at you. But I guess if, if you space it out... You know, watch one, think about it for two days, do that again, and you avoid Twitter for spoilers, then you'll be OK.
1: Yeah, three is a lot of content, even for somebody like me, who's not a full on book reader. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Like, I don't I don't you know, I'm not lost in the story or anything like that. So I, as far as I can tell, they're handling everything pretty well and, from that regard but just in this day and age with the content with Ahsoka, with foundation with a bunch of other stuff still on yeah. the air or just wrapping up if you're playing catch up school's going to be back in session if you know for for uh, those people who are you know have kids in uh, that are school age kids right. so there's a lot going on in in 3 hours of television to try to juggle and to catch, yeah it, it is a really head scratcher and yeah. like you said you know who knows what amazon's got Coming behind this, and why why they're trying to hustle it up?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, I it, it could be just. I I don't know. I don't know. I wish yeah, they would have. Know. I wish they would let the wheel of time have its moment. But the other shows are going to end, and the wheel of time will be going for a little longer. <laughs> and that. the wheel weaves as the wheel wills, and that's all I we was, can do.
1: In uh, Manhattan today, uh, kind of cruising through the theater district, and there was a huge—I uh, forget which building it was—but there was a big, oh good, full long block Wheel of Time banner on a building, and then on the corners it had uh, other. That's ones. good. So, That's good. You know, I'm, I'm glad they're things. giving the
2: the series the support it needs now because yeah. it did not feel like it really got that in season one. And Fair I'm, I'm just—I'm glad that they're—they seem to be taking it more seriously now, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, one last thing I'm going to say is I did like most of the book changes. Most of them were smart oh, condensing of characters or events. I did like most of them. Uh, some of them worry me, but I can get there when we get there. And okay. I'm not sure if I can <laughs> even get to all of them because some of them are because of consequences down the line.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And as we, we talk a lot about with foundation and brings a power, you know, we should, uh, the shippy test, as we like to call it, is mm-hmm. are the are the changes that are being made, do they serve the plot and do they help us with the visual medium? Or and then I think you, you said it was Rafe Jud- Judkins who said the, the showrunner for the show, mm-hmm. was saying adaptation versus inspiration. Like that's a really that's nice um writer. it's not
2: him, it's actually Brandon Sanderson who oh, Brandon wrote Sanders. the last three books. Right, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's how Who had that time. like
1: crazy Kickstarter book uh, yes deal. yeah like a
2: 30 It might have been like 40 million i don't know <laughs> it was like the biggest kickstarter
1: like one of the biggest kickstarters ever let alone the biggest it, one yeah. for a book or something
2: yeah it was definitely the biggest one for a book it was i think the second or third biggest ever
1: amazing that, that's Crazy. extraordinary so yep well as a non-book reader um i felt this episode was fine it was a good episode two uh, uh episode deepened characters, picked up characters that, you know, we hadn't seen so much, extended their plot a little bit, mm-hmm. set up some dramatic stakes, we had a nice reveal at the end and I am suddenly I, I, what, a question you asked me last podcast was about like, what did I think of the when, when he referred to when there, there was a reference the to other the forsaken. other forsaken. Yep.
2: Now I'm like, oh, interesting. The other chosen, so, I think actually he said.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I was pleasantly tickled by that. I was like, wait a minute. I have to reevaluate my whole understanding of the power structure of the bad right, guys here. Right. Right. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's one of my favorite things in the books. And that doesn't really get revealed to the end of book three. So I wasn't sure where they were going to do it with this one. But Uh you realize at the end of book three, or maybe the beginning of book four, that you have not been fighting the dark one this whole time. This was a tier two villain. This was a tier (laughs) two boss. Right. There's a lot more to go. (laughs) And it was this tough just to get this far. What happens next? And that's that's a great way to grow the world to mm-hmm. raise the stakes in a way that feels natural. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, so I was I was delighted by that and uh got wowed by some cool visuals and yeah, so you know, for me as the non-bookie, uh, it it the, this episode did its job and I felt like I've moved further a, a step down the story pathway.
2: Right. Right. Well, Ishmael is here. We now know his name. Just call and me we're Ishmael. we're ready to talk about him. Some I people like call him Ishigon on Reddit. We can okay. call him Ishi here if you want. Ishi,
1: Palpi, Ishi. You know, <laughs> we like to we like to, dim, to give the give our bad guys the dimin, diminutive forms of their names to right. soften them up right. a little bit. You know,
2: exactly. He's got he's very soft spoken. Ferris Ferris is his name. He's he's yeah. pretty soft spoken.
1: He's a suave looking mf'er. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> he looks good up on there on that uh, on that uh, litter. Yeah. Um, production notes. Yes, I guess we should get through that. You've never read the books, David, as you mentioned. I have read the books, uh, all of them at least once, most of them multiple times. So I I will be our book reader, but I won't be spoiling anything that has not happened in the show yet. I will compare things in the books that have already happened, but I will not talk about anything that has not happened yet. Uh, We do have screeners for episodes one through four. We're not running ahead. We haven't watched past episode two, so we're not going to be cute about it and be like, well, we'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, I can't talk um, about that now.
2: Yeah, it's like it's like playing. I'm not touching you. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's so annoying. The worst annoying game in the world. Right, right. So we're not going to do that. Uh, and then we will at the end of episode three, we're going to start a, a weekly segment called the White Tower segment where Alicia will come on. You might r- recognize her from our Mandalorian coverage from the MCU universe from will shift dust her own podcast that's on our network uh, we're going to talk full book spoilers for all 14 books plus the prequel just so, you and Alicia just so me and I, Alicia yeah yeah
1: so when I bail I'll, I'll hustle everybody out who doesn't want to, uh, to get spoiled we'll go off and then you guys can right. nerd the hell out
2: yeah we'll talk about changes that they made what kind of consequences those changes might have that's going to be our focus with that and and I think that'll be a lot of fun very cool Alright, David. I think it's time to get into the episode. Let's go. We start off with Rand awakening from a nightmare about killing his friends in madness. He is in bed with the innkeeper Celine, who he appears to be in a relationship with. He tells her he has to head to work, and she laments that all their nights together have the same ending. What's your impression of Celine, David?
1: Um I think she seems I think she is more than she seems. Uh, for an innkeeper, she, um, uh, yeah, she just doesn't seem like a little, (laughs) just a regular old innkeeper to me. She seems to be a bit more of a powerful person or maybe knowledgeable person or more crafty or wily in some ways. I don't think she is as simple as uh, things appear to be.
2: Well, now I know how you feel about innkeepers.
1: (laughs) This particular innkeeper, you know, Um, anyway, I'm not going to, I don't want to get in too much trouble. You know, I'm a married man after all, but you know, uh, Rand is doing well for himself here. Uh, all things considered.
2: Yeah. Celine in the books is described as extremely beautiful. Like Rand cannot keep his eyes off her, Mm -hmm. just radiant. So that is what they're going for here.
1: Okay. Well, they, they definitely are giving her, um, a lot of I don't know so what I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. There's a lot of sexual chemistry happening here. That's what I'm saying for right? sure. For some sure. Marvin Gaye hit, put some Marvin Gaye on the turntable and turn down the lights and let's Something go. Something
2: that they've added in the books is Ren has now had sex with two more women than he did in the books. <laughs> okay, and oh, I really? I don't know why. They uh, when Rafe Judkins went to adapt this material, he's like, all right, this is all good. But rand has got to fuck <laughs> like <it's, laughs> we we haven't made enough changes until Rand gets them.
1: Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and they're giving him the, the they're giving him a, a definite look and a swagger as he's walking through town yep, here. Yep. And the dude's cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets tossed a, um, whatever passes for a bread or a tortilla. And um, yeah, he's rolling, rolling through town there. So,
2: right. can- so well, speaking of rolling through town, Ran heads through the foregate of Kyrian toward his work, catching breakfast bread on the way. Rand currently works in what appears to be a sanatorium for those struggling with severe mental illness. As he walks through the hall, he hears a voice say, you are mine, Randall Thor. We then get the title screen.
1: So. Sorry, uh, just I wanted to jump back to. There was some whispering in the scene when he kind of wakes from his dream a little oh, bit. oh, yeah,
2: yeah. He's Did hearing a lot of voices him? lately. i I couldn't understand what they were saying in that,
1: which is frustrating because we don't have the subtitles on our screeners right. And uh, I was hoping you'd catch some of it. So I wasn't sure what was being said there.
2: It seems to be all the same vibe of your mind, you right. Know?
1: And uh, I think we know who Ishii is probably it's I think it's Ishii's voice yeah
2: Is it because we know that Rand is going toward madness because True. Of, his use of the one power so that's going to be a struggle is is it someone messing with him right. or is it madness creeping in
1: Got it. because of the yeah just do, ju- just because of the channeling um, right. there was a, a part of this scene when he's looking out the window sorry I just wanted to jump back to this as well too Yeah yeah the I don't know if it was just me or if it was coincidence, but it looked like as he was looking out into the town, the city, whatever, mm-hmm. the, at least the the glimpse I saw, the architecture of where he is reminded me of the building where the dark Friends social was having a meeting. They're in a different I'm, area.
2: Okay, got I'm it. Just I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I'm
1: I'm seeing shadows, right? You know, yeah, I'm looking yeah, yeah. in on yeah. every corner and every, you know, nook and cranny. So maybe I'm they're, they're sure i They're they're
2: for sure in there. a different area because this is not a coastal um city. This is Kyrian. So if you'll remember, Kyrian was mentioned in episode 1 by Dale okay. Doman who said that they found the heartstone that was broken yes near Kyrian. Oh, okay. So that's where the broken seal was found, right where Rand is.
1: Okay. Interesting. All so right.
2: there's a clue there uh kyrian is a major kingdom it's okay. a major city and, and a major kingdom within Ranland. i mean to have and- a
1: sanatorium and the, the guards yeah it right. seemed like a very right. uh, a lot of uh state provided infrastructure going on here and
2: right and the foregate is is a location from the books basically the main city is made like you know, a medieval kingdom with brick and stone and whatnot. Then you have the four gate all made of wood because it's all poor people uh, uh, living right, over there. Right. And so this yeah. is sort of the the overflow of the city that Rand's living in.
1: Yeah, pretty standard for for what we understand are, you know, medieval towns. In, right. In fantasy.
2: So that's Rand, David, are we the only ones who are ever going to use the Wheel of Time season one theme ever again?
1: Uh, did they change it? I did. Oh, I did not notice.
2: Well, they the title screen is now like a five second thing, yes. instead of a full theme song. Right. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Maybe they're doing it just because it's this this dr- initial drop. Maybe I don't know. because we'll they've done
2: it on two episodes now.
1: Yeah. Or is it just a screener thing, and there'll be more complete? Uh, title I don't graphics. know. It
2: seemed pretty final that edit. I, I don't know why they would change okay. the theme song. Going. We'll have to. That. We'll have yeah. to see. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, let's move on. Moiraine and Lan recover from their wounds from the Drawls. When Varen assumes Moiraine will go to the White Tower, Moiraine reminds her that she's been exiled. However, Moiraine tells Lan she will be heading to the White Tower and take some jabs at him. She's been so mean to Lan this episode.
1: Dude, the, by the end of this episode, I'm just like, F you, Moiraine. Like, what is going on? You, you know... I, I really don't understand what's going on. And I'm really mad at her. <laughs> I'm sure it will all be revealed. And I'm sure there are reasons. I, I'm just not. I am like, err,
2: what are you doing? So Alicia had a really good theory on this, which is that because Lan is the heir to a throne and Moiraine, well of noble blood, is not an heir to the throne. That he is not her equal. He's better than her. He's, he's higher rank than her. She's certainly not. <laughs> no, but, I don't, but like, her I don't agree idea, with her tactics here. Her idea, I think, is let me push him away because he'll be better off without me. So I'm going to sound mean, but when I say we were never equals, I'm not lying, but I actually mean it factually in the other direction.
1: Right, because she can't lie.
2: Right. She's doing the I said I thing. She's using right. the words that she needs to say. Well, it's not that she can't lie. The the actual rule is speak no untrue word. Right. So you right. you can mislead with your words.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in the in the yeah. simplest sense of yeah, of yeah, life. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. So I, I always love how she makes that distinction to people like Egwene. She's like, you know, what do the three odds say that's very important how they're worded?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's very legalese here. Very legalistic. Right, yeah. What's right. the letter of the law? What's the intent of the law here? Right. Well, Regardless, I'm still mad at her because she's being meany McMeanerson, and I don't like it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, let's head to our friends of the Shinarans. Uno complains about the tracker refusing to ride a horse, but Perrin backs the tracker up. The Shinarans arrive in a village where Perrin sees a woman through a window. When Perrin investigates, he sees a scene of a family being murdered by dark friends. The vision initially fools him. But the tracker counsels Perrin to learn the difference between vision and reality. The Shinarans determine something, scared Fain away, and find a mutilated Mirdral. So I think in episode one, I got a little
1: confused about the tracker because the way that they introduced the tracker to us. Mm -hmm. It was like, we came across this guy. Yeah. No, he's,
2: he's part of the crew. He's part of the, the shadow. Right. And
1: the way they filmed it, at least the way I interpret it, because I didn't have any, you know, priors on that. It was like, we just came across this dude and no, it turns out he's actually part of their, their crew hundred percent. Yeah. So they've
2: combined two characters for this one. Oh, interesting. And I actually don't, I think that they're going with one name, but I'm, I won't say it until we see the name. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, there's a character named Hurin, who is from the Shinarons and is not Wolfy, but he's a, he is a tracker. Uh huh. And there's another character named Elias, who's actually the first other wolf-like person that Perrin meets. Okay. And I think they're combining these two. Okay. From the books.
1: Got it. Okay.
2: Yeah, which um, I think is a, is a wise decision, right? Because he, now Perrin gets to have this wolf mentor. And you get the tracker,
1: right? This is not this is not spoilery stuff that you're covering here, right? You're, you're I don't think so. That. I mean, okay. he's in the
2: first book. Um, but this idea that we to, that
1: Perrin gets a, a mentor. I mean, they're building that relationship right here, obviously.
2: Well, I mean, he it's not like an explicit mentorship. I, I'm yeah. saying like what we're seeing now is just advice given. Yeah. And right. I even in the books, I don't think it goes much further than that. Okay. Yeah.
1: Now it the this river crossing, this really felt like the river crossing that they did uh, at the same location in season one where the Trollocs couldn't cross the river. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just I, a visually, I don't. Yeah, I, I think that's I think just a visual, a visual
2: thing. Yeah. Okay. Because they've been going through. Yeah, they're they're going north and and down a coast, which is why they come across the seafaring army later.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Pretty pretty traumatic scene here for Perrin to uh to witness and then to the the reveal that no this has been this way for a while now to the point that you know the yeah, yeah 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 things have set in very well, creepy very yeah it, it it injected a nice horror 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 F, okay blah blah uh you know this nice horrific <laughs> element to the story um, so, and, and then to cap it with a, a mirror draw sort of in this crucified position, I was like, oh, I, yeah. I, what I, did that? Right. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. This again, I guess that's another reveal of this episode and it's, it's setting up more questions is what is going on here. Cause what killed a mirror draw, you know? Right. What crucified a mirror draw, not just killed
2: one. Right. Right. And that's, that's really the question because the last episode we had a, an, an attack by a couple 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 near that took two Aes Sedai and two warders to fend off. Yeah. And, and a former, a non-channeling Aes Sedai, I guess. Right. Um, and, uh, and now all of a sudden something just absolutely destroyed this mirror And it seems like almost effortless effortlessly.
1: And then why leave it up as a, um, you know why? Why crucified yeah. in this way? Yeah. yeah, was is this a warning, or were that was this some sort of form of torture? Could you get some right. information out of Mirdral?
2: I don't know. Yeah, Mirdral can talk in the books, but we have not seen that in the show. I hope their tongues have adapted to have <laughs> to deal with all. Because when I bite my tongue, that
1: hurts, and I don't know about biting my tongue with all yeah, those teeth yeah. in my
2: mouth. So who knows? It's all magic, so it's fine. Uh, Rand checks in on one of his patients who has a fearful reaction to him, but Rand keeps his cool and earns the man's trust. The man calls Rand an Ailman among them after Rand mentions that the Aiel War ended 20 years prior. The man reveals himself to be a blade master and promises to teach Rand sword forms if Rand sneaks a sword in. One of Rand's co-workers torments the old man and taunts Rand about his low position. A lot of subtle lore dump here right okay 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 we we know that there are these people called the Aiel, Aiel that Rand was... looks quite a lot like one according to this guy okay and that there was a war with the Aiel 20 years ago okay we're seeding all this now right seeding right. you know a, a, just a bunch of information because I mean you you should know from the trailers the Aiel are going to be involved in this series at some point okay and in this season, at some point, I should say,
1: this guy uh, kind of, in some ways, gave me vibes of um, uh, who is the sword master who taught Arya. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now I can't remember. But yeah, the, I want to
1: say Cyrano de Bergerac, but that's an entirely was, different uh, thing. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. No, he was he was. Uh, yeah, it was the same vibe, except just older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if he had not
1: <laughs> not been taken, taken down by the Kingsguard. So right. Yeah, I I thought this scene did an interesting job too of of setting up Rand as a nice guy who cares about his patients. Yeah, very kind. Connecting us to you know his humanity, uh, while the other guy is a complete jerk who. Gets his comeuppance later. (laughs) So, yeah. And then of course that turns into a trick of it. So we actually have more than one reveal in here. We've got a couple of things, you know, we've got this interesting question with the mirror draw. We've got this whole thing of going on further inside into the sanatorium and, and meeting the, the one male caster who we met last season that the.
2: Logan, Yep.
1: Yep. And then, yeah. So yeah, there's a, there's actually a lot packed in this episode. And the more I think about it,
2: big lore episode, big exposition episode. Okay. Egwene asks where Nynaeve is as she does her chores, uh, but Nynaeve has been taken to the Yellow Sister's healing quarters by Leandrin. Nynaeve is impressed by the Accepted's healing of a serious illness that was a struggle for her to heal with herbs. Leandrin explains that Accepted are allowed to study with the different Aja's. Leandrin makes a pitch for the Red Aja, which she claims prevents sickness, at the root instead of treating it. Leandrin says the long lifespans of Aes Sedai allow them to shape history and pushes for Nynaeve to become accepted so they can begin studying together. Again, more exposition, I think, you know, how, how do do the accepted work? Um, okay. So when you graduate from novice to accepted, now you can go study with individual Aes Sedai who don't normally teach and learn sort of their craft. That way you can decide where, which color Aja you want to go into.
1: Right, kind of apprenticing. Is this where they mention the arches too, or does that come in in a little the, bit? The
2: the arches. I don't remember if they mention it here, but they are shown later, and they they talk about them more later. Yeah,
1: yeah, most certainly. And it's it's this idea. This certainly sets up that that track for um, right her to be following. I liked in this too. A couple of things I noticed in this scene. Certainly, uh, Leandrin palming the that medicine. That that little vial of of stuff, right? Uh-huh. I yep. thought she was going to use it to poison Matt, but uh, no, that was that was a little bit of a. I, I did
2: love their interaction later, but we'll get to there.
1: Yeah, and then the weave is really beautiful here. It's this white and gold. So yeah, the it's just a it's beautiful. I uh, I'm appreciating the way that they're uh, styling the weaves this episode. Or I mean, this season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a big improvement over last season. Right. Did you see Nynaeve light up a lot at the healing? Totally. She. Uh, I. I got a little
1: confused too, because I thought, well, yeah, obviously she's, you know, maybe this is an Aja that she would want to study with. But then Leandrin was right there saying, no, no, no. The systemically, we can, we can do more if you're a red Aja. Then
2: that's uh, such a Aja. weak argument.
1: It is. It was. I thought it was, I was also like, not as. You know, you're going to
2: cure the flu by th- making men not be able to channel. I I don't <laughs> understand your argument here. It didn't I, people are sense. still going to get colds. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. What your argument is here? I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think she's saying more people die from you know false dragons and whatnot than die from uh, illness. Which right. I again I don't know if that's true. Yeah. I, that yeah. seems wrong to me.
1: Well, he certainly did do a nice job in the scene. It was nice and bright. The whole white uh, with the accepted and the light coming behind her. And yeah, it, it was a it was a nice scene around.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think if I'm looking at Leandra's motivations here, it's to excite Nynaeve and give her a motivation to become accepted so she can start to. Craft her, mold her. But
1: then it's naive CSI, and she follows her through the city streets uh, here in the yes. next scene. So, yeah.
2: so I've I've skipped this quick. Uh, well, I I actually did combine it later. Yeah, I combined it later because all she does is go, "Where is she?" And then they sleep. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, let's move on to andren who visits. Matt, with the gift of sweet cakes, enter after pantomiming her exit, Matt grabs a sweet cake and begins to work on the brick again. This was the scene that won me over as Donald as Matt. OK, okay. I think yeah. that this this uh, he was a lot funnier in this. He, he just did, he had nothing to work with the last episode. So I, no, I that's yeah. why I said I'll reserve judgment until he has a, a real scene. I think I think he is doing a good job. I'm not sure which Matt I like better yet. I haven't seen him enough again. But I, this is the Matt we've got, so I'm living with it.
1: Yeah, he's got a little different. Uh, he f- he feels a little, a little darker, bit less less of a Joker.
2: Yeah, yeah. He, he
1: seems a little bit more serious. This Matt seems a little bit more serious to me.
2: Yeah, but still sarcastic and snarky, sure, yeah. and and yeah. I did appreciate all his all his banter with Min later, and I think right. I think he's got a good energy for Matt. Yeah.
1: I really thought Leandrin was going to poison him here too. So I. But why? Because
2: she's she's I know, been with that's him, what him for I so was, long. I feel like there's no motive.
1: Yeah, that's what I was confused about. Like, why are you? Po- why did you show us <laughs> palming that and then feeding him the cakes and then he says, "Oh, did you poison me? I got." I Was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Why? Why would she kill him? Um, yeah,
2: and so, even he bought it. He's like, yeah. I don't know why you'd be keeping me all this time just to poison me now. Right. <laughs> well. I guess we'll revisit that later when we get to him and Min. Uh, Egwene meets an incoming novice who seems to be a bit out of touch with the vibe of being a novice. After a rocky start, the novice introduces herself as Elaine Tracand, the daughter heir of Andor and daughter of Queen Morgaze. Elaine says some of the greatest pairings in the history of the world were formed between novices in adjacent rooms, and she wonders what the future will hold for them. This seems to win Egwene over. First impressions, David.
1: I I didn't know what to think of this. It seemed obviously she's highborn. She has a lot of servants and fancy stuff, and then she does the the old oh oh God, how could you live in this pigsty? Oh right, right. right. <laughs>
2: this is your room. Oops. Really um, gets the vibe of rich kid goes to college.
1: But then, yet is not out <laughs> of touch. Like she actually goes, "Oh well, oh, you know, I'm sorry, and hey, let's talk, and and let me, right. let me come right. down a little bit." And that that was a cool on my part. And I I didn't know what to do with the line about the pairings because it seemed really on the nose. Mm-hmm. It seemed very directed to me, the the viewer, the watcher, to say,
2: "Watch this relationship." And well, I if I could if I could say. I mean, yes, I think that's right. But also, it was just if on I, the notes if and I, I wasn't defend, expecting it. Yeah. If Sorry. I could defend the line, I'd say she grew up, her mother um, went to the White Tower for a time, uh, is not an Aes Sedai, by the way. Uh, okay. And she has grown up with, you know, in a palace where Aes Sedai come and go and visit her mother and pay respects. And she has grown up with the lore of Aes Sedai, with the lore of the White Tower her whole life. And mm-hmm. so, for her to have romanticized it like this, and try to manufacture a relationship now with Egwene is very natural to me. That feels natural to me. Okay. All right. Especially someone who, as she says, I've never been allowed to have friends, right? I've I've been cooped up in this tower, in this palace my whole life. And um, Elaine is actually introduced in the first book in a different way, but I'll I'll save that for another time if it kind of comes up. (laughs) But uh, this is the first time we see her in the show, and she is a major character. She's a POV character in the books.
1: Uh, we, I, I did have to think of, uh, I was trying to think of other great pairings in this way. I certainly thought of uh, Sparrowhawk and Vetch from uh, the ah, Ursi. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice segue there for our other podcasts <laughs> about the Ursi books with Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, but, yeah, I, I was also surprised. Boy, this uh, this episode is actually full of surprises because yeah. uh, this I, you could tell that this was going to be a major character. They were signaling that this is a major character that's right.
2: coming in right now. Right.
1: And so it was like, wow, OK, well, well here we go.
2: <laughs> right. Well, we've got a huge cast in these books, so uh-huh. a lot of the reveals are happening this season, it seems like, from the trailer and from what we've already gotten
1: and i appreciate a season that front loads a lot of stuff so that the yeah. when we get to the mid to the back end we've got a lot of things to unwind and unravel and the drama and the tension to to go through yeah
2: yeah we're not dragging out anymore you know we did the whole who's the dragon reborn thing last season that's done being dragged out <laughs> right uh and now which was exhausting and i think they could have done that better but anyway we're not relitigating season 1 uh, but and now they've ended the whole mystery of well who is this dark one who who is this enemy that we fought what actually happened there what what are the stakes we've been we have that revealed by the end of episode two which is great right. um and Elaine is introduced which is is good I think Elaine is a character that surprises and delights you because she is set up to be a tropey character this Adam Dutch <laughs> <Tut's> noble <laughs> yeah. but she actually has a lot of depth.
1: And this goes into the whole thing that you always talk about with this series of books is the, the inversions and the flippings of the taking tropes or ideas right, or different right. elements of different from different stories or plot lines, and then messing with them, kind of doing right. like a Baroque style music, taking a melody and flipping it or playing it backwards or, yep. you know, interleaving it with another, uh, over another melody. And, and, uh, so they call that's it cool. counterpoint.
2: Hmm. They call it counterpoint. They call it that. I knew there was music. a name for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to another White Tower plot line in the White Tower. Nynaeve asks where Leandrin is and is told she may be able to catch her. I guess I did put this earlier. Uh, Sheriam meets with Alana and her warders to discuss Leandrin's proposal of Nynaeve's accepted test. Sheriam says if the last battle is coming, they need Nynaeve at their side. Sheriam is dismissive of the warders and says there will be a vote about Nynaeve's status. Alana says she will not stay because Moraine needs them. What does Moraine need them to do? Why is everyone just da- dancing around Moraine?
1: <laughs> and isn't uh, Alana uh, also? Yeah, she's a blue as well uh, as Moraine. So no, she's green. She's a green. I'm sorry, not Alana. um, uh, Sherryham. Sherryham is a blue. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just had the names mixed up there. So we got blues and greens teaming up here. So.
2: Well, they're um, I I thought they were more adversarial there. Oh, I'm Uh sorry. You're saying you're saying Alana is a green teaming up with my rain. A blue.
1: Yeah. But at the same time. Uh, sherium is a blue, right? And so right. she's, you know, even though there so might be a little kind of adversarial a little bit
2: there, yeah, they're they're
1: still all in cahoot. They're they're sort of going yeah. cahoots going on here. So
2: the green and blue Ajah's have always been for a very long time, at least, uh, pretty allied. They they largely act similarly in votes in the because there's there's a whole democratic system within the right. White Tower as well, and they they largely vote as a block. It seems like.
1: Well, I could see, too, if, if you get blues doing diplomacy and long range scouting, that the greens would mm, definitely want to be down yeah. with that in intel. And yeah, the know, blues all that- about
2: like justice. And who do you need to enact justice? The army. And that's <laughs> that's the green. Uh, there you go. So they, they fit together pretty nicely.
1: Alona is such a badass. She like sits back in this scene here and her her hand kind of reaches out and one of her warders just puts a cup directly into it. She's just she's she's a queen.
2: She She is certainly she's she's a lot more present in the show than the books. And I like what they're doing with her character.
1: The actress has got her vibe down so well. Her warders are great. I'm just grooving with everything they're giving with her. Yeah. Her costumes are amazing.
2: Yeah. Yep, All of yep. her
1: jewelry and everything.
2: It's very cool. And they picked a wonderful actress for Sherry. Um. I think that uh, Sherry is so matronly. <laughs> yeah, she's just so like mistress of novices. Like the minute you see her, you're like, yeah, that's the mistress of novices. That's right. Yeah, she's, yep. she's the head mistress. Yep. Yep. Of Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the Shinarans arrive in another village that has not been attacked. The tracker refuses to sleep inside with the Shinarans and tells Perrin they are not his pack. What do you think of this? What is the tracker telling Perrin? Yeah, that was
1: an interesting line. And like you were saying before, there, there's something going on between the, the this wolf pack stuff that the tracker with his yellow eyes and Perrin and, uh, he can see the tracker seems to see that Perrin, you know, he's not a soldier in this same way. He's, he's not a, uh-huh. a rank and file, uh, uh, you know, member he's, he's something else. There's something, yeah, he's got some other right. destiny and, and I think the tracker can see that. And I like, um, I don't know, yeah, again, you know, cool trope here a little bit in, in that, you know, um, this weird outsider is is informing you of something that you can't yet see about yourself.
2: He's like, hey, buddy, you're an outsider too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just just like me. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, interesting. He's like, you know, I'm, I much prefer to sleep out under the stars where, yeah. where I can't get dragged out by my heels when the invading army <laughs> right. comes walking in in a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know... I, I don't know if they've confirmed yet that he's the same as Perrin, and I don't know if they will at this point, point. and I don't know if they will at all, because he could be a different thing. There's other kinds of powers in this world that he could have, but it does seem like they're setting him up to be wolf mentor to Perrin.
1: Yeah, right. That was a big fishy that they had on the table there, and I'm glad – I thought it was just going to be a background element, and so I was kind of glad when they uh, – Showed the people uh, butchering it up a a little bit more. That it was a little bit more in the story. Because it was a giant fish.
2: It looked better than the fish in Foundation. That's for sure. (laughs) Remember that fish we talked about for like three minutes? Yeah. (laughs) It was terrible. Uh, Varen notes that the eye of the darkness is upon Moiraine. And assumes she's found the dragon. Moiraine asks who else knows while gripping a dagger. Varen applauds her for the lengths she'll go for the dragon. Uh, and says the world is still broken there and says one day she may have to betray her or the dragon and refuses to take an oath to uh to not betray either of them. She mentions prophecies about Toman head battles in the sky, a sword of flame and a branded hand that wields it. Pretty cryptic over here.
1: Yeah, there you go. You got a brown talking all kinds of this and that's and, you know, dusty tomes in, in books Uh, Yeah, yeah, this is a lore dump episode, as you said.
2: (laughs) Varen is either my favorite or second favorite character. Okay. Overall in the series. She is that good. She is that good. And I'm glad that she gets more screen time in the show so far, I think.
1: Right, and they picked a great actress to actor to play to play her part, and to- yeah,
2: I love her delivery. It's very uh, matter of fact, but a little bit sassy. You know, like it, it's got a little bit of snark to it, but it is very librariany. so prophecies any idea of what they're about
1: no man this is like i just have to accept all of this and just pray that yeah. uh, i've got a good podcast yeah. to help me uh pick these details out when the details time come
2: yeah you know yeah we'll just have to wait till they come true but how about this i'll tell you when they do come true yeah yeah if fair you enough. haven't figured yeah. it out yourself <laughs> pin
1: pin pin this uh scene and in, into our uh red yarn corkboard and uh and remind me when we when we get there <laughs>
2: Fair enough. Uh the dagger, the dagger yes. that Myraine grips. That feels like a different vibe. Myraine feels unhinged here in a way that I have not seen her before.
1: Seriously, I was like, you're going to really kill a, a, a straight up one of your
2: sisters like
1: this? That seemed a little excessive.
2: Well, they can't use the one power as a weapon. But there's nothing in the oaths that <laughs> prevents you from killing with your bare hands.
1: But still, right? This person is, you know, housed you, fed you, you know, is escorted, you know, spending time with you. It seemed a little, but yeah, I guess that was yeah. to signal the stakes
0: mm-hmm. in
1: Moraine's head about what's, um, you know, that what she's being so consumed by. Sort of right, her, right. She she seems very possessed by her mission and what she has to do and what only she can do. And, you know, well, you got to remember, the
2: Reds are hunting down dragons. They're hunting down false dragons. They're hunting down male channelers. If, you know, you have Varen saying it's one of those three boys, right? That you brought with you. So she knows at least who to look for. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Varen's not on her side, she's got a big problem here. Right. And so you got to remember when you have an oath from an Aes Sedai, That is binding because they can speak no untrue word, and it will now bind them via their speak no untrue word oath. But you have to make sure you word it right.
1: Right, right, (laughs) right, right, right.
2: right. And there's a lot of loopholes in those oaths. All right, David, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we will head back to the foregate. gate. And we're back. During a festival at the foregate, Rand finds his abusive co-worker who attacks him. Uh, Rand gets the upper hand and beats the man close to death, then accidentally channels and hears a voice telling him to kill. Rand finds Celine in his room and asks to be alone, but she tells him they need to be alone together before they engage in some rough loving. Yeah, I need to ask you something, David, because I watched this attack scene 10 times to figure really? out who attacked who first. Just uh, the well, very beginning of it. Okay. I still don't know. I said that the guy attacked Rand. Uh huh. But I'm not sure. How about you?
1: I totally read it as Rand attacking him. He certainly okay. was waiting for him. He tracked him. And even in a, a confrontation, a surprise, um, Rand has the upper hand and beats the crap out of him. Uh, and yeah. so I, yeah. I put Rand well within the center of uh, of the being the aggressor here. This yeah.
2: Is- oh, yeah. He he's absolutely capable, which is why I had to watch it ten times. I was like, right, because they cut really quickly and it's very dark in the scene. That's something that is one complaint I'll have is that these night scenes are too dark and it might yeah. be the screeners, but. That was a problem in season one, too. So it might just be the edit.
1: You know, I'm just watching it now. And it ran does grab him because the guy. OK, OK. Who uh, that he attacks has a white a white shirt with a vest over it. And you can okay. see him getting yanked by Rand. It's they flip the camera angles on us. And so right, that's what was
2: tripping me up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can. I, I totally see that. Yeah. So so Rand. Uh, yeah, he's uh, using the the one true power to beat up
2: the bullies. Well, don't don't say the true power because that that's a different thing. It's not the true power. It's not the it's, true power. It's because it's okay. Cheeky. Here's here's an annoying thing. I'll tell you: the true power and the true source are two completely different things. Oh. Robert Jordan is very very intricate with his naming of things. Okay, um, but you you're not gonna know anything about the difference for a very long time. So just keep that in your back pocket.
1: Well, he's he was channeling chan- channeling he was here, channeling so. the
2: one power for sure. The one power. The yeah. one power. Um. And yeah, I think he you can see he can't hold it back. Right. Right. And that is the problem is he can say, I'm not going to channel so that I can avoid madness all I want. But when he gets emotional, when he, you know, just loses himself a little bit, he's going to channel and he's eventually going to not be able to shut it out.
1: It kind of reminds me of Nynaeve a little bit, too, in that, you know, he he channeled when he was angry here. Yeah. So. Uh, Being in touch with your emotions is, uh, you know, a trigger. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So they do go deeply in the books on how the different sides of channeling the male and female sides of the source work. And they are different. So the female side of the source, SIDAR, is something that you have to and this is a little problematic and I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say what Robert Jordan says. You have to submit to the source. OK, when you're using the right. female side of the source. You right. have to basically wrestle with and dominate the male side of the source. OK, uh, so he has women being submitted, submitting to the power and men uh, dominating it. And we know that uh, male channelers on average are a little bit stronger than female channelers. Okay. So it's it's a little dated, as you as it's, you say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, cons- it's, it's quite a construct. lot dated, actually. Yeah. But that's just the way it works is is uh, that's why it's so confusing why Nynaeve has to hulk out to become a channeler, because when it's a type of power that you're supposed to submit to, how does that work? That she's angry Mm -hmm. and she's taking control of it. And all of a sudden she's channeling Sidar. It shouldn't work. And so she baffles her teachers.
1: Do you think the uh, showrunner Rafe Judkins is is deconstructing that a little bit and and playing with it a little bit in this? Or do we even have? I don't know. Worry about the question of submission versus domination.
2: Yeah, I guess I guess you don't really have to. I mean, bypass that. There's a couple really good lines and and moments that come from that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But you could bypass it and I wouldn't mind. Okay. Um, but but it it's the same thing in the books where Nynaeve is people are baffled by the fact that she can channel like that, you know, w- right. by becoming angry because it just doesn't make sense to them as female channelers who are used to channeling in a certain way. And cool. I guess Leandrin is saying, well, don't listen to them. Go ahead. Hulk out all you want. Right. And and
1: like uh, and put on a red cloak while you're at it and we're good to go. <laughs> Let's rock.
2: <laughs> right. Right. So uh so Celine and Rand. A little bit uh, BDSM, huh? Little rough,
1: little rough, little rough. Little couple of uh, couple of intense souls needing some intense comforting.
2: Yeah, I think throughout this episode, I constantly go, maybe it's a sweet relationship, maybe it's not. Oh no, <laughs> well, it's not. <laughs> we get
1: definitely get the conversation later uh, about how how you know what she needs and what he needs. That's yeah, they're kind of using each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And I thought that that was an interesting reveal at this stage. And, you know, they just put it straight up front. Yeah.
2: Look, you know, I'm wounded. You're wounded. Let's bone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. I, fair <laughs> enough. I <laughs> no to put it
2: sounds like a transaction to, for the transactional <laughs> relationship to me. Very yeah. transaction. But I think we're going to see
1: some more. There were some uh, things that were in, uh, Teaser, trailer you know, things. It seemed yep. like she's got more going on here.
2: So perhaps. Perhaps. The wheel weaves. Let's move on to the White Tower where Egwene gives Elaine an orientation to being a novice. sheriam corners Elaine and asks for the name of the I who let Elaine's maiden. When Elaine refuses to tell sheriam she receives a punishment of daily switching for three months. Elaine responds before breakfast or after. Egwene complains about the lack of attention she gets compared to Nynaeve. Then the two find Elaine's quarters bare bones again. I loved Elaine's. This is where this is where show Elaine won me over before breakfast okay. or after, right. you know, just like right in the face of of somebody trying to pull a power move over her. She goes, all right, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought switching seemed to be a very harsh punishment for. Oh, it quite is. yes. Yes. You know, um, it's a very popular. It. No, in, in the White Tower, it's pretty much the default.
1: Man. OK. Yeah. 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 You know. yeah, yeah. You know,
2: yeah. just deal with it. It's
1: <laughs> as long as they don't as long as they don't go gratuitous with it visually and sort of. Yeah, I don't want you know.
2: I don't want to see it once. even. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to see it at all. But, we, we get that. It happens. Fine. Understood. Right. Yeah. But that that is from the books pretty much the default.
1: And you can tell that um, uh, Elaine is uh, used to dealing with people of power or people who think that they have power.
2: Right. Yeah, she's very good at the game of houses. Mm -hmm. She's very good at politics. You learn early on, and you see throughout the series, Elaine is someone who has paid attention when her mother teaches her politics. Right.
1: Right. She came prepared
2: that is a great character to have because it's interesting. It's okay. someone who could be this privileged person who is, you know, a trust fund baby who never learned anything, but instead really did the work. Right. To, because she she's going to be the ruler. To to be clear, the Andoran throne always goes to the eldest woman. Okay, there's always a queen of Andor. Cool. And So Egwene is, sorry, Elaine is going to, I know know he's not great at naming people differently (laughs) who are in the same scenes all the time, but Elaine, Elaine is going to be queen. She's known that since she's a baby and she's been raised for it. She's been really groomed for this role.
1: Interesting person to be paired with Egwene in that regard then, because Egwene who is Still not confident in who she is or who she's yet to become. To have uh, a buddy who is very confident and who is, you know, uh, standing shoulder to shoulder with you and, and genuinely kind of wants to be your friend, and yeah, and um, that's that's a big boost for your sense of self and how you can carry yourself when you've got a.
2: Yeah, to be clear, Egwene's village, Emmonsfield. is is inside of Andor, but it is on so far of the edge that Mm. the tax collectors have stopped going there (laughs) because they make so little money and it's so far that they just stopped going there right there's no andorian guards there there's no like they they barely remember that they're part of andor at the beginning of the series yeah so it's a little bit of two different worlds i would say colliding Nynaeve follows Leandrin through Tarvalon to find her at an old man's sickbed. Nynaeve tries to offer healing advice, but Leandrin screams at her to get out. Leandrin begins crying and apologizes to her beautiful boy for leaving him in pain. Twist. I don't
1: know how I felt about this scene from the acting standpoint. Mm -hmm. It felt a little bit overacted to me. I get her anger and I get her striking. Um, Nynaeve. the, the beautiful boy stuff. I, I guess I just had a different opinion of Leandrin and for her, I get what they're, they're, they're doing right there. She's got this hard exterior, but there's some soft squishy bits on the inside. I just didn't, this is one scene where I was just mm-hmm. like, eh. This a, is it, a show creation,
2: by the way. Okay. Oh, interesting. He completely show creation. They She does not have this person in the books. I'm reading this as her son. Are you the same?
1: I have no idea. He seems very old. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who he is.
2: I mean, But you had an my... earlier scene where you say, where Leandrin says, we live for hundreds of years.
1: That's true. That's a good point. When And he's not. So, okay. That would make sense. If he's um, not channeling,
2: he's not going to have an extended lifespan. Right. Right.
1: Okay. All right. I'll, 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 I could buy
2: that then. I I think that's what they're going for here. Beautiful boy sounded like a son to me.
1: And why doesn't she, I don't know, like if she's got resources and who she is, you know, why doesn't she have some attendance? I mean, she's leaving him alone all day. I don't know. I I, maybe, maybe I'm just reading too deeper into the scene. The point is Leandrin has a, a vulnerability in the sense that there are somebody she cares for a lot and she's keeping that secret. So, Got and it. don't
2: forget, Moiraine threatened her with this knowledge last season.
1: But was she – I thought she was um, uh, getting frisky with uh, a man. Not she just that- said,
2: that, I know there's a man you visit in North Harbor. Got That's all it. she okay. said. She did not okay. say anything about a relationship. So then I so, what
1: I read into that was that she she had a secret liaison. I did too. I did rom- too. But now I saw this liaison.
2: and I put it together. Yeah. And I was like, I think this is what Moiraine is saying.
1: Interesting. So Moiraine didn't really follow through well enough to understand what that was.
2: Well, she didn't didn't suggest either way. I think she just said, I know you visit a man. You're a red Aja visiting men. You know, you're supposed to hate men. Right. Uh, Your sisters would not like it very much if you were, you know, crying over the sick bed of a man.
1: Okay. All right.
2: Yeah. I think that's dramatic tension. If she had had a child with a man and then raised a man, and is now mourning the loss of that man, that's that's messing with her Red Aja credentials.
1: Got it. <laughs> you Would know? you say, John, that her heart is in conflict with itself? Oh,
2: boy. All right, here we go again. <laughs> Back to the jokester. Matt gets through the bricks just to find another cell. Out pops Min, who calls him the possum that's been scratching at the walls. The two work together to get through the rest of the bricks. Were you surprised and delighted as I was? uh mm,
1: no because I don't have I guess the same connectivity to min that that you
2: might okay. I was surprised do you, do you recall her from I
1: did one. once we got uh once they came through on the other side and started interacting I was like oh okay. wait wait wasn't she in the yeah then it, yeah then it she was the
2: bartender reflect. yeah who who tells Rand all about the visions you know when right. she's mm-hmm. yeah yep. so so she's basically the one who made him realize he was the dragon reborn.
1: I gather that Min is a favorite uh, of uh, f- for a lot of people.
2: Controversial. Okay, she's. I think she. You you love her or you you like her, but you wish you were more developed. I think those are the two sides of it. Got I think it. Okay. she is under underdeveloped in certain points. Well, it but, seems like
1: they're they're giving her some more stage yeah. here, some more of the stage here. So, and that she. Um and Matt are going to, you know, have some kind of engagement, you know, a couple of tricksters, a couple of, um, you know, irreverent people. And then, well, we'll get to it when we get to the scene. But, yeah, it, it it's an interesting chemistry.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I don't remember her re- interacting with Matt that much in the book. So this is right. pretty okay. much all new of these interactions. But also Matt wasn't in, in captivity of Leandrin in the book. So we are all in fresh ground here um i don't know how we got here to be honest with you (laughs) but i i think it it has the potential to go interesting places i think they're trying to do some clever sleight of hand here to get things back on track after losing matt for the last two episodes of season one
1: got it right they're yeah gassing up his character uh plot lines and stuff
2: exactly and they're giving him a little bit of room to breathe in these one person two person scenes fair enough yeah. Where this actor can establish himself as, all right, I am Matt. Get over it. I, you know, it was funny because in the in the first episode I noticed, and I think they did it in this episode too, is every time somebody says a line to him, they're like, So Matt, how are you? Matt, here are some sweet <laughs> rolls. Isn't that great, Matt? They just Locking they never in. use pronouns. They never they never right. use Yeah, it's it's always like Matt, <laughs> the guy who's always been Matt. <laughs> But yeah, I, I enjoyed their chemistry here, and I hope that it continues. I, I enjoyed the possum bit. That was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, good, uh, good nickname. I, I hope that nickname sticks.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's new, too. Uh, Moiraine and the other Aes Sedai and Warders discuss how each pair met. Moiraine interrupts the speculation about her and Lan and the two recount their meeting outside Chachin. Lan thought she was a mercenary following him, and Moiraine thought he was a dark friend. Moiraine found Lan meditating by a pond with his sword sitting nearby. When she grabbed his sword, Lan grabbed Moiraine and threw her into the water. (laughs) Pretty funny. Yeah, this is actually from the prequel. This is recounted in the prequel, New Spring. So they're bringing some stuff in here.
1: Uh, And, of course, uh, great set up for when uh they eventually part here at the end of the episode. Yeah. Right. So we're like, oh, they're moving closer together. moiraine is joining the circle. Nope, psych. You Fake know. you out.
2: Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And uh of course there's this great line I think from Adelaus any old warder can protect you from a trollic, but the right one can protect you from yourself.
1: Mm, yeah, that is a nice a nice you've got to be uh, not only their physical protector, but in some ways their um their check. Uh, know yeah, their check, their balance, their yeah. moral compass, uh, you, know, you know, the friend that says, nah, put the shot glass down. We've had enough tonight.
2: Let's <laughs> let's go home. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. So a, a lot good a lot of good stuff here. I I loved their sort of charming back and forth. I didn't I will say something that has been annoying to me in the show generally is they are really accentuating anything sexual that they can. Oh, well, now the story is getting good. Now that we have the lover, the older woman lover in the story. Yeah. All right. All right. We get it. We get it. I said, I want to have sex. We get it. Um, I I don't know why that's a thing. It's not really a thing in the books. And and it does take me out of it a little bit. It makes me feel like they're stretching things to get closer to a Game of Thrones, darker, more adult vibe. And I don't know if this show needs it because... I think it has quite a bit of story and quite a bit of musing about morality and good and evil and and how to adapt to changes in your life and how to leave your village and become this all powerful person who you when when you are facing madness, it has so many questions. Why do I need? Okay, but we also like to have sex so much and that's what (laughs) we want in our stories. Right. But it's a minor quibble, so I'll move on. Min and Matt make progress through the wall and she slips through a bottle of wine. The two share a drink while Min tells Matt about her ability to see glimpses of the future and her accidental trip to Tarvalon. Matt tells Min unless she can see how he gets out of there, he doesn't want to know the shit heading his way. They agree to meet again before Min has a vision of Matt stabbing Rand with a dagger. Uh, A lot here, a lot here, especially the end scene. What, yeah. what were your thoughts, David?
1: Well, just um, more confusion. I, I was, uh, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> now that's out there. What does that mean? And and how is that going to get resolved? Is that actually something that's, you know, how many seasons are we going? I, I hope they put that <laughs> scene at the end because it looks like Rand of today. You know, so
2: right, right,
1: um, yeah.
2: It's um, it's tricky because I know. And I think, tiny, I think windy? Min has said this. I think Min has said this. It's that her visions have to come true. Uh-huh. They do always come true. But it, that doesn't mean they're going to come true in the way you expect them, right? Okay, right. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen the way. So you you could be seeing some. But that did seem pretty clear that he is stabbing and healing Rand.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not ambiguous. There was not a lot of ambiguity yeah. about that. And it, it kind of... Um, Made me a little sad because uh, suddenly you know hear these two irreverent trickster characters and hey let's get drunk and have some fun and and you know kick it around a little bit and then Min at the end was
2: oh vibe should, kill
1: uh, yeah I shouldn't <laughs> be yeah total vibe kill maybe I shouldn't be hanging out with this dude
2: yeah yeah but then she actually does go yeah my social calendar is open and we'll hang out <laughs> right yeah yeah um I I do see a way out based on what I know already of this. But I will save that for the White Tower segment. Please do. Yeah. The wheel weaves. Um, This whole idea, she accidentally got to Tarvalon. Kind of funny because she was not in Tarvalon in the book. She was Mm -hmm. in Berlan. They met her, uh, which is just another small city outside of Camelin, which is the capital of Andor. And I'm using a lot of proper nouns and I apologize.
1: Yeah. yeah. Can I I make a side plug here? We were just on... uh, (laughs) On the uh, properly Howard movie review, one of our affiliate podcasts, and we, you, me, and Alicia were talking Dune with Anthony and Steve, and you were complaining about the I know <laughs> I know proper nouns. <laughs>
2: Wait until we get to Teleronriode in this Oof. book Oof. in this series. I That's think a big one. I think we might get it this season, okay. but it is it is a very big thing, and it's Teleronriode. And if I ask you to spell it, I guarantee you, you're not going to guess it.
1: <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, I, will take, Guarantee I will take that it. date.
2: I wouldn't that have bet. guessed it. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoy their little wine date. I I uh, don't know if they'll go in a romantic direction here, but we'll we will see.
1: Yeah, I don't I would be disappointed if they went in a romantic direction. I don't need a romantic direction. Just, it felt more
2: you know. buddy cop, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So back to the romance. In bed, Celine tells Ran there was a man she loved once who left them shattered. She says he still has her whole heart. And when she's with Rand, she can pretend she's with him, which is a gift. Rand says "With when he's with her, he thinks of someone he wishes he could forget. And my comment here is, what a toxic relationship.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. You're not making a pass at me, but uh, I'm just sort of this uh, pretend for physical form of somebody else you really like. So, yeah, I mean, look, if it's. Uh, you know, uh, to what degree is it, uh, uh, consent, you know, Hey, do you mind if, uh, if I pretend that you're somebody else while we do this, you know, well, uh, does, seem okay. like uh, uh,
2: does seem like that's uh it does seem like that's their, her, she's very open about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they had this, this conversation so that we understand the stakes of the relationship, but I t- <laughs> think that it's going to lead a little bit further down the road for both of them. So,
2: yeah, they're they are both pretty miserable without their old lovers. Again, they've developed the Egwene Rand romance more in the show than the books, so I okay. think he's referring to her because we saw them together in the first episode. But uh, and also, you know, she he had that fantasy at the end in, by Ishmael, who kind of mm-hmm. forced the fantasy on him, uh, right? And and that that shows that 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 was Rand's dream was to have a family with Egwene.
1: Right. Right. Okay.
2: No. Sad. Elaine shows Egwene a delicious new weave and says she was never allowed to have friends. Elaine asks about Nynaeve, and Egwene vents about how she works so hard while Nynaeve slacks off and says she's there to protect Egwene. Nynaeve hears Egwene's complaints about her not being there and storms off. Elaine tells Egwene jealousy is not the best look on her. Again, Elaine being very insightful, very good at Mm -hmm. reading people. I think, uh, again, subverting this trope of the out of touch noble. Yeah. Good scene. Um,
1: And then, yeah, we've got the, you know, the, you know, a well well used plot device of overhearing a partial conversation and having a reaction to it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. A little cheesy. A little
1: cheesy. Yeah. You know, it's fine. This is what happens in uh, schools of magic when you, uh, you know listen in at doors you're not supposed to listen in. well it's not even like she was not supposed to listen in it was just sort of accidental well but. she did break
2: into Egwene's room too yeah okay so <laughs> yeah. anyway poor yeah. poor
1: naive. she's all she's all poor messed Nynaeve. up about a lot of stuff here
2: hulking out every day she just can't she can't stay calm <laughs> Nope. yeah um how do you feel about this though with Egwene's comparison you know I'm working hard every day we see even the Aes Sedai concern that Egwene is too focused okay mm-hmm. right? she is too into the rules and she's having trouble loosening up at all whereas Nynaeve is like I'm not doing anything and they're raising her to accept it
1: I'm that must feel dirty pretty gl- terrible I'm going to drink the dirty glass of water I'm not right. even going to participate in your silly you know challenges here and it's even worse
2: um, in the books because Nynaeve, the first thing that she does when she gets to the tower is take the accepted test. She never spends any time as a novice. So it's different right. here in the show. I'm right. I'm actually glad they did this uh, to, to show that, you know, she was a novice for a time. I, I very much was like, why wouldn't they just have her be a novice for a time even just to learn a little bit of humility? She really needed it.
1: Right. Well, and and to bounce her uh, up this way, yeah, it it sets up, uh, it sets up some dramatic tension uh, between them and and with her character. So,
2: right, I think it works. Right. Yeah, I, I think it works too. Uh, well Nynaeve broods over Egwene's complaints, Leandrin comes and reluctantly brings her through the White Tower. They arrive at a gathering of Aes Sedai who introduce the ceremony to become accepted, which will require Nynaeve to pass through some mysterious arches and face what she fears. I love, love the arches in the books, and I cannot wait for the next episode.
1: Okay. <laughs> I noticed that it looked uh, like two of the arches are broken.
2: Yeah, they're kind of falling apart, but they still work.
1: Okay. well, yeah, like one is whole and the other two both seem to be something's wrong with them. So,
2: okay. Yeah, I think it's more about the magic of them than it is the structure. So I think I think uh, I don't recall that from the book. Maybe they'll add something for the show.
1: I get very strong Dagobah vibes here.
2: (laughs) You got to go to the cave. Yeah, yeah. You know, if
1: if a little green creature was sitting in the back of Nynaeve's uh, shoulders there,
2: you know. And then Darth it Nynaeve would... will become her, yeah. yeah. Did you
1: notice, one thing I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, of the um, two other Aes Sedai that were were down there, uh, obviously the, um, uh, what's her name, the mistress, I apologize. Sherryam, yeah. Sherryam. The other Aes Sedai that was there, mm-hmm. that actress uh, was when uh, Egwene was at the beginning of the episode one, when Egwene's going around collecting up the glasses, or the cups, uh-huh. and the dirty dishes, or whatever, this Aes Sedai tosses a glass to her, basically, sort of oh. in this very um, <laughs> uh, kind of annoying and haughty manner. And yet, and th- that's that's who this is here. So,
2: that is annoying and haughty uh, does kind of describe the whole of the Aes Sedai. <laughs> <laughs> they are a very, very haughty. Yeah, they're a, a very uptight institution that very much looks down on others. Okay, yeah. Um, are you excited for the arches?
1: Well, I'm. Maybe I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I'm going to meet my, uh, you know, <laughs> myself disguised as my father.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we'll see what Nineveh sees next week, probably, or yeah, next, actually today. The, I'm sorry. This is a yes. triple drop.
1: <laughs> Uh, I'm actually looking at a free freeze framed on uh, the scene of the three arches as they pan out. And definitely the left and the right arches don't have their top arch. Okay.
2: they're interesting. They're,
1: yeah. So That's where the cool. middle one is like completely whole and intact. That's cool.
2: All right. A few more scenes left. Uh, this one, this next one is the dense one. So I'm going to take it slow and we're going to go through it afterward. Moiraine tells Lan she decided to make him her warder when he was unfazed by three heads. This told her that he would one day be able to survive on his own. She tells him to go to the tower and let her continue alone. When he refuses to leave, she tells him the last battle is coming and they're already losing it. She says the Quendiar was a seal keeping Ishmael imprisoned uh, and that at the eye of the world they set him free. She says the Forsaken are 3,000-year-old channelers who are the most powerful who ever lived. When she says Ishmael cut Moir- Moiraine off with a flick of the wrist, Lan says he thought it took eight Aes Sedai to cut someone off from the source. She lashes back, tells him Ran is still alive, and mocks him about his failure to, uh, with the fades to push him away. She tells him they were never equals and that Alana will take his bond by force if she has to. A lot here. Yeah. Um, the he, She's mean to land. Let's just say that up front. Yeah. <laughs> me, I don't think we need to understand. rehash that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this Quendiar keeping Ishmael imprisoned. That's a big mic drop moment. Okay. <laughs> because now we know that that's exactly who that is, right? Um, the guy who has been masquerading as the dark one. Never actually explicitly called himself the Dark One, right? Right. Yeah. Um, we all and, just assumed that. Right. Right. Uh, but that's that's Ishmael. That is the as as she says the chief lieutenant of okay. the Dark One. Right. So that's who we've been dealing with, and there's more apparently. And she says he might be freeing them as we speak.
1: Right. This got very um uh black company for me in in, in it's always the series of books mm-hmm. the black company there's uh, yep. all these power characters and you know uh, weird alliances and things locked away and yep. yeah I, I got yep. I haven't read all of those I've, I've just read a little bit of it but it just gave me that vibe
2: Yeah and um I think that Robert Jordan was inspired by the black company in that regard I think okay. he based the forsaken largely on that Structure. Oh, interesting! Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so I, I, I do think this is a direct there. link. Yeah, I think okay. this is a direct link here. Uh, right. Someone can write in and correct me if they know otherwise. But I've heard that that is a direct link. He was directly inspired by that.
1: Oh wow! Well, I'm, I that was a that's just the vibe I got. So uh, that's yeah. that's cool. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. That just for people who who may not be familiar, the Black Company or a series of books about a mercenary company uh, by Glenn Cook is the mm-hmm. author.
2: So great series. Great yeah. series.
1: I enjoyed the the first book that I I read of it.
2: Yeah, I've only read the first book too. But as it's as a I true. say, great series. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I do want to continue. I've just been so busy with watching three shows at the same time and <laughs> podcasting about them.
1: Never mind family, children, work. And, yep, you know, all the other yep.
2: things. Yep, uh, three thousand year old channelers we have here who are the most Care. powerful who ever lived. How are they alive? <laughs> and
1: can just you know. Um, Flick of a wrist, uh, depower a, a very powerful Aes Sedai.
2: So. Or can they? Because Len is convinced that they
1: can't. And uh, she did. Well, they teased. Did did Moiraine actually start to channel? Right. Or was that the right. energy from the other Aes Sedai that came to rescue them? Right. I, it's, it's, it's a little ambiguous in the visuals of the, of the scene.
2: Yeah. So he's saying it takes eight Aes Sedai to cut someone off permanently. Mm-hmm. Is she not cut off permanently? Is it just a really strong shield? That's been the right. question for us the whole time. I okay. think that that's where they're leading here. They're not yeah. going to leave her nerfed the whole series.
1: Well, and what I don't get is, is if you are nerfed, if you are cut off, then why would you... Uh, try to go off on your own, Uh, I'd, I'd want some protection. I'd want somebody I could trust. I'd want somebody I could talk to.
2: Because she doesn't want her check anymore. She wants to be able to go rogue. I think that's what she's uh, saying.
1: That would make sense. Yep. That would make sense. Yep. Even if I she's not at. F- at full power.
2: Yep. Because she's, I think she's more interested in counseling Rand and pulling political strings then she is
1: Rand's, fighting. Rand's not going to, it's not going to go well. It's not going to work well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's going to
1: have all these ideas about, oh, I'm going to teach you and counsel you and guide you and whatever. And you have to know this. And don't you understand <laughs> that? And, and Rand's just going to be like, piss off lady.
2: <laughs> you know, the wheel weaves, David, it sure does. <laughs> it sure does. Very good.
1: Okay, good. I will, uh, We'll take it, we'll, I'll, I'll take that as, um, I'll, I'll keep exploring those thoughts and feelings.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Perrin wakes to an attack as he is dragged from bed. The Shinarans do their best against an unknown enemy and manage to free Loyal to go into Hulk mode, but are eventually cornered by leash channelers and are blown away by their wind. Perrin is dragged by his feet to sit by the other prisoner survivors. We see all the named Shinaran survive, of course, uh, and we see a Shanshan ruler arrive with Ishmael by her side. So
1: both episodes, one and two so far, have uh, ended in a nice battle sequence, so it's yeah. nice this, that this we're This was good. I thought action. that the
2: choreography was really good. I thought the effects were really good. Uh, it felt nervous and chaotic you know yeah. as, as mm-hmm. he's going through there which is the way that a battle like that should feel
1: mm-hmm. in the dark uh at surprise your you know your your forces are scattered and you're trying to you know yeah find an yeah. upper hand and he's like uh shinarans to me and then <laughs> whoops yeah you know you you're getting an upper hand here but then you lose
2: badly right right um and these what guys are scary thoughts? Yeah, it, is, it does look scary. I, I, I loved Loyal going into Hulk mode right. because that is something in the books. You know, Ogier are extremely calm. But if you piss one off,
1: <laughs> they go to town.
2: They are very good fighters as well. Right? Yeah, they're very strong. They can beat you up. Um, and I like that they kind of almost got the upper hand. And then yes. these channelers come in and we know Ix die can't fight with the one power. But this is something different.
1: And they have these weird uh, mouthpieces, Gags, yeah. and then they have the backup. Uh, the people, the the two women behind them. That are, mm-hmm. you know, so there's some sort of structural stuff going on. Uh, yeah, it was. I have questions. I've got a yeah. lot of questions.
2: There's a lot there. Again, this world will keep getting bigger for a while. Okay, <laughs> we're not done expanding yet. Very cool. But this is uh, a very scary force that we've not seen in Ranland before. That yeah. has just come in. And we know that these women who are channeling can use it as a weapon and that right. they're being controlled in some way. Right,
1: right, right. yep. Because they've got gags on, minding. right?
2: Right. And they're they're doing these hand dances <laughs> to to channel. So yeah, it's it's scary. And then of course we get that shot of the litter with the Shanchan ruler with Ishman. It, it almost
1: it, it almost degrades. to call it a litter. This thing is ginormous and ornate. uh, What else can we call it? I don't know. That's the technically correct term as far as I know.
2: I know. Yeah. So it's terrifying. Yeah. The throne is carried in. Let's just say that. She's carried in on her throne with Ishmael by her side.
1: Which is kind of yeah. So great reveal, you know, that Ishmael is not like he is subservient to another person power you know entity he? well right? he's not sitting i mean he's he's standing as a he, he's not in the position of of ultimate authority here no she's no. in in some sort of authority
2: right yeah and he I acknowledges
1: mean, her and references her authority in, in as much as that he is not be at the center but off to the side so
2: i'm looking at him as a worm tongue figure in the mm, show right now interesting you know
1: crazy costuming here crazy uh i don't know if this is hair or what's coming out of uh, this person's <laughs> head or around yeah. the the mask did you ever see the movie 300
2: mm, no i saw the parody of it which is terrible <laughs>
1: <laughs> well there was some they they really overstylized the, I, I believe it was the syrian forces in that um so it it made me think of that in in some ways Okay. And uh, yeah, a big reveal, and to, to see uh, Ishi here, see Perrin. He gets pretty excited by, um, by the fact that he's encountered one of the one of the, um, one uh, of the what's the name of the town
2: they're from again? Well, Emmonsfield. Emmonsfield. Yeah, uh, one of the sometimes, sometimes we call them the Emmonsfielders. Sometimes we call them uh, the Emmonsfield Five. Some people right, call him yeah. that.
1: <laughs> to, to see one of the five, he was pretty pleased uh, yeah.
2: with that. And we were told that they're Taviran at the okay. end of last season. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, so they are all five of them, which is different from the books. There's only only the three boys, only Rand, Matt, Perrin are in the books. But okay. all five of them in the show are people who the pattern will weave around. They all are right. able to influence large events. Okay. So he's, he's excited to see Perrin. Yep. What can he do with him now?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yep, yep. Scary stuff. So I'm excited to see where that goes. That's, again, again, pretty different from the books, but same vibe, and I, I see where they're going with it. Okay. Um, last scene, though. Yes. Uh, Rand goes to work and learns his co-worker. I could not understand the name without subtitles. Yam. <laughs> it sounded like Yam to me. Yeah, I didn't But care. that didn't cannot it. be it. That cannot be it. So <laughs> I hope we find out at some point. So we lear- he learns that his co-worker was attacked the previous night. Hmm. Rand is assigned to his position with the wealthier residents outside. He greets Loghain and tells him they have a lot more in common than his previous attendant.
1: So did Rand know that Loghain was back here? Or? That's how I'm
2: reading it. I think okay. that because he didn't seem surprised at all. He had a, sm- a smile on, like, he I planned this whole thing. Exactly. I, I knew you were here. I researched where I asked around where Loghain went, and I worked my way through these ranks until I could find you and I could he, talk to you.
1: He's looking very confident and very intently at, at Loghain here in this end scene. Yeah, so I think right. you're right. I think that's the, I think that's a good reading of it is, is that this was his uh, his plan all along.
2: Yeah. And even Logain seems a little smirky, you know. He's like, mm-hmm. "Ooh, what are we going to do together?" Because, I mean, he he can't channel anymore. But my question is, can he kind of tell that Ran can?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no, don't. I, think I, game I don't knows recall if here. you can.
2: Yeah, I I don't recall if you can after you've been cut off in the books. I don't know if it ever came up. Mm-hmm. But a, certainly, a male channeler who still can channel can sense another male channeler.
1: Right. And I think he's getting, yeah, there, there's vibes here between both yeah. of them going both ways. Yeah.
2: Good vibrations. Yes. Absolutely. Cool. Well, what an episode. Yeah. We've got no feedback because the show hasn't come out yet. <laughs> but of course, if you're listening to this and want to write in, WOT at the lorehounds.com. Or you can uh, head to the lorehounds.com and send in your voicemails, contact form entries, get on the Discord server, what, however you get it to. I don't care. I'll put it in the outline. And uh, for now, though, we're going to move on to our outro. And I think, David, we're going to do a quick outro tonight since people probably just listened to our episode one podcast.
1: Yeah, this is uh, kind of a, a part two of three. So um, we don't need to, be- to belabor too much. Go check out Properly Howard movie reviews. Steve and Anthony are having a good time. We just did a guest pod with them uh, covering uh, the remake of Dune. Check out Wool Shift Dust. Check out Alicia. She's doing, speaking of Dune, she's doing a whole deconstruction of Dune. Wool Shift Dust does Dune, talking about documentaries and the history of the books and uh, getting into uh, Frank Herbert as an author, all hoping that uh, Dune Part 2 will be out later this year if the the studios don't mess around and, and move it. And then Alicia's also got her wool shift dust book club running. Check that out. We've got show links in all the show notes uh, below if you're interested in that or hop over in the discord and give a shout out and there'll be, there's plenty of people over there willing to, you know, point you in the right directions or provide you with links of things if you need to follow up, if if you need, uh, need help searching any of those things out. Um, but please do check out our affiliates, um, because we're all in this together and we're all having a good time podcasting.
2: Yeah. Speaking of our podcasting quick notes, we're also doing Ahsoka and Foundation at the same time, so check our main feed for that. If you're not on there, search the Lorehounds wherever you are. We've got plenty of other projects going, but check out the outro of last episode or the next episode if you want more on that. And time for one more thing, David, our yes, Patreon lore masters.
1: Yes. Oh, yes, of course, as always.
2: Got to shout them out. Uh, Samarshan, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O H, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Laura G, Dead Eye Jedi Bob, and Nathan T. Long list keeps getting longer and we love it and thank you to our lore masters and all of our patrons for allowing us to get screeners and you know do these advanced recordings so that we can get the podcast out faster it, it helps us devote more resources and time to these things when we have patreon supporters so that's right thank you again
1: thanks everyone david
2: yes see you in a couple hours <laughs> <laughs> thanks john The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions, feedback, and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all our episodes at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning